Well, today we are um, continuing our series on Ephesians, and I want to mention, too, for those of you at home, that as you might see here at the front, we are going to be at the end of the message celebrating communion together, so you might want to uh, scramble and uh, get some crackers or bread and some juice Uh, ready and prepared so that you can celebrate communion together with us at the end of the message. We're uh, we're looking at this letter to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, and today we're looking at chapter 3 verses 14 to 21. This church that we're talking about, this church in Ephesus, was founded, was started by Paul and his team. And as we've said, it was started with a big move of the Spirit, a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. Many miracles and demonstrations of God's power were shown in Ephesus and went out from Ephesus to the whole region of uh, the province of Asia in the west part of what is today the, the, the nation of Turkey. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, the, the churches around Ephesus were encouraged, were strengthened by this move of God that happened as Paul and his team ministered there for two and a half years. And now, as, as we said last week, Paul is in prison and he's writing this letter to, to, to Ephesus to encourage this church to continue on their path of maturity and path of growth so that they can continue to impact their region. And this church also, as we've said, would later receive a letter from Jesus himself. We find in the book of Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus would challenge them to repent from their passionless religion and to rediscover their first love. To repent of their passionless religion and to rediscover their first love. How In heaven's name, did they lose their first love? Well, I want to suggest to you that that they lost their first love because they lost sight of the magnitude of God's love for them. When we lose sight of how much God loves us, we begin to revert to passionless religion. Or we wander from him trying to find what we, sh- we, we need to find in God in the things around us. And I, and I think this morning, it's not in my notes and it's not, we're, we don't have time to get too deep into this, but I think this morning of that story that we call the prodigal son that Jesus told in, in Luke 15. Now, the Bible doesn't call it that. We call it that. Because 
The Bible says it's not a story of one son, it's a story of two sons. And both sons lost sight of their father's love. And one son ran into the world to try and find in the world what he needed to find at home. But the other son stayed at home, but started to live like a slave instead of like a son. And he said, Father, all of these years I've been slaving for you. And then you hear the father say, oh, son, everything I have is yours. Don't you know my love for you? When we lose sight of the father's love, we either run into the world or we revert to passionless religion. John 1, 4-10 says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And then verse 19 of the same chapter says, We love because He first loved us. How do we lose our passion? By losing sight of His love. So let's dive in. For this reason, verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This passage that we read this morning is, a, is the second prayer that Paul prays in his letter to the Ephesians, the second prayer that he prays for them. And he starts this by saying, um, for this reason, or for this cause. It's exactly the same words that started our passage last week. Do you remember that? We titled our, our message last week, For This Cause. Because... Chapter 3, verse 1 starts with these same words, for this reason, for this cause. And so Paul says the same thing again here. What cause? For what cause? Right? Um, you, some of you have been around long enough to hear preachers say, when you see a therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? Right? 
what comes before. And when he says, for this cause, obviously he's talking about something before. What cause? Well, we talked about it last week. The, the, the cause, um, the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ and the crucified God. The mystery that God loves us so much that he sent his son into this world. That he came in the person of his son and was crucified for us. Wow, right? For that cause. For the cause that in his death, both Jew and Gentile, everyone could be welcomed into the family of God. For that cause, right? For that cause. We said, we said before that, that, that the Jewish religious people of, Jewish, of Jesus' day had lost sight of the fact that the blessing was not just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the religious people, but it was for everyone. Now, now I don't know how they lost sight of that because it's, it's all over their scriptures, the Old Testament. Here's an example, Isaiah 49 verse 6. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says this. It is too small a thing. This is God the Father speaking prophetically to his son, speaking to the Messiah through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus is born. Jesus speaking, saying, It is too small a thing that you be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, in other words, Israel, and bring back those of Israel that I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It was always God's plan that the whole world be reached with the good news of Jesus. It was not an add-on. It was not, oh yeah, the Gentiles too. It was always God's plan that the message of hope would go to the whole world. And here in, in Paul's writings, as he says, for this cause, I kneel before the Father from whom every family or some translations I think better say all, the whole family in all the earth gets its name. One household from which we get our identity. We talked about this back in... in uh, September 13th, when we, we did a message on community, we talked about in the Old Testament, the word for household that was used is Beit Ab, house of the father. And in the New Testament, oikos, two words that speak of the household of God. And that's the word Paul's using here, and he's talking about there is one household made up of Jew and Gentile, made up of religious and irreligious, made up of those inside the church and those who call on Christ 
outside of the structured church. But those who call in the name of Jesus, there is one family from whom all, the whole family, all over the world gets its name. When it speaks of gets its name, it's talking about its identity, isn't it? We get our identity from the Father. It's always astounded me as I've traveled to different parts of the world, to the Caribbean, to Eastern Europe, to Africa, to the Middle East, and I've encountered followers of Jesus in those places. It's always amazed me how much we are the same. I mean, I don't, many of the places I've gone, I don't even speak their language. I don't understand their culture. You know, I, I don't understand why Ukrainians eat weird things for breakfast. I don't understand it. It's weird. Sorry. I, I mean, they had pizza for breakfast. It's, it's weird. Some of you say, yay. But it's weird. I don't understand all the cultural stuff, but when we begin to talk about Jesus, we are the same. We are one family. It's amazing. So Paul speaks of one father, one family. Secondly, he talks about... Um, he says, he prays that, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being, in your inner man, your inner person. To be strengthened according to his power in your inner man. <clears throat> that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Um, according to, according to, Paul doesn't say, and as, as the NIV poorly translates here, um, he doesn't say out of his glorious riches. He says, according to his glorious riches, there's a big difference. It, according to this word in the Greek is the same word that Jesus uses when he speaks in Matthew 9 to two blind men and, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to see. And Jesus says, according to your faith, be it unto you. In other words, if they had said, well, we have a hangnail and we'd like you to heal that, well, that would be what they would receive. But they said, we want to see. Well, according to your faith, at the level of your faith, may you receive. According to your faith, be it unto you. It's the, it's the same word that's used in the book of Revelation. In chapter 20, where it says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and receive according to our deeds. According to, according to. And Paul says here 
that God, he's praying that God would strengthen them according to the glorious riches of God. Folks, um, God doesn't just want to strengthen you according to your situation, not just according to your need, but according to his resources. How big are God's resources, right? What size of check could God write today, right? What are, what are God's resources? Now, he's not talking about money. He's talking about inner resources, strength in your inner person. How many in 2020 would say you've needed strength in your inner person, right? When the world presses in on you with its chaos, you need peace on the inside that's pushing out just as hard. When the world presses in with fear, you need hope on the inside of you pushing out just as hard. That's why Paul elsewhere writes and says, we are pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Why? Because there was something on the inside of him that was stronger than what was pressing in from the outside. According to God's riches, may you be strengthened in your inner person. Isn't that powerful? And then he says, he gives us two beautiful images or metaphors about what the love of God is meant to be for us. Um, He says, you being rooted and established in love. Being rooted and established. These are two pictures. So rooted, obviously, a tree, rooted. What, what, is, what do roots do for a tree? Shout back at me this morning. Nourish it. Nourish it. It, gets, it gets, excuse me, it gets nutrients from the soil and it nourishes. What else do roots do? Make it strong so it stabilizes the tree, right? You, you've got as much... Um, underground as you have above ground and that strengthens the tree when the wind blows it doesn't go over one more thing that roots do for trees i don't know if you know this destroy your sewer pipes pipes. it's not quite what i was going for the roots are the storage place of of the sustenance right when when the food is made the, the tree stores the food in the root system so that it can survive through the winter. Right? So, the source of nutrients, the strength and stability in the storm, and the, the place where you store what you need to survive the difficult times. Right? What a beautiful picture Paul gives us. That we are rooted in love. We're not rooted 
in theology, although theology is important. We're not rooted in certain kind of worship music, although worship music is important. We are rooted in the love of God. That is what is our strength. That's our sustenance. That's our source. That is what will stabilize us in the challenging storms of life. We are rooted and established. And the word he uses here is literally we're, we're put upon a foundation, built upon a foundation of love. Jesus captures this picture beautifully, doesn't he, in the, in the parable of the two houses, one built on sand and one built on rock, right? And where the one that is built on sand, when the storms of life come, it, it, you know, Matthew, Matthew records Jesus as saying it, it, it falls with a great crash, right? You're still standing. It's been a hard year. You're still standing. Well, you're sitting right now, but you're still standing. You're still here. Jesus has been your strength. The love of God has been your foundation. You are built on Him, and it doesn't matter what the world throws at us, what the storms of life throw at us. It doesn't matter what COVID throws at us or whatever. We stand, we are built, founded upon the love of God. He is our strength. We are rooted and established in love. Then he says, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. This I should have entitled this The Impossible Sermon. Because I'm standing up here this morning to try to help you grasp the ungraspable. It's a job I can't, I, I can't fulfill this morning. To try and explain to you the unexplainable. To try and help us understand the un- incomprehensible. Paul is saying, if you could only imagine the magnitude of God's love for you, you actually need the power of God just to comprehend and grasp God's love for you. So high, you can't get over it, so low can't get under it so wide, can't get around it, oh, wonderful love. Right? You want me to do a dance while I'm singing it? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) The incomprehensible 
magnitude of the love of God. When Paul wrote this, I wonder if he was, if he had in mind Psalm 103, verses 12 and 13, which says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, East is from the west. Something like that. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The magnitude of the love of God. Either way, Paul is speaking here that however big your sin is this morning, Those of you sitting here, those of you watching online, however big your sin is, God's love is bigger. And He calls you to come and to find the hope, forgiveness, and freedom that is is waiting for you. No matter how big your problem is, His care is bigger. His power is bigger to deliver. Either to deliver you out of it or deliver you through it. And only he knows what's best. But his power is bigger this morning to deliver. You cannot exhaust the love of God. You cannot find the end of it. Now we don't want to, we don't want to confuse God's love for our human ideas of niceness. God is not a giant marshmallow who just says, whatever goes, goes. No problem. That's not loving. Right? A a child who breaks free of his mother's hand and runs out into traffic and the mother says, oh, whatever you want to do, son, just go. That's not loving, right? Sometimes God's love feels kind and sometimes it feels severe, but God is always loving you and always wanting to build your life into something more beautiful. And we can only fully understand, this is what Paul says here, we can only fully understand God's love with God's holy people. Isn't that interesting? That you may, together with God's holy people, grasp how wide and how Long and how high and how deep is the love of God. Why is that? I believe it's because in the mess of community, when we don't see things the same way, 
when we don't have the same perspective, when that person, fill in the blank, gets under your skin and drives you crazy, and yet you love them. Folks, I guarantee you, you probably get under God's skin at least 60 times every minute. And yet, He still loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we can only start to learn what love looks like when we start to learn about it in community. When we start to learn that in the mess of what we are, we can actually learn to love one another. It gives us a little taste, a little taste of the love of God that is not just niceness but it pushes through ugliness and pain and disagreement and struggle and challenge to love with a fierce love. So how do we know the unknowable? Right? How, do, how is it possible? Paul says here that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. How can we possibly know the unknowable? Well, Paul actually uses here two slightly different words. The first word that you may know is the same word that the Bible uses in many places um, to speak euphemistically, to use a big word, um, of, of sexual intercourse. Adam knew Eve. Right? It's a knowing of experience and connectedness. The second know um, you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. That, that word knowledge is like scientific knowledge. Knowledge that can be measured. Things that can be measured and understood and figured out. Tell me, if, if I was to ask you to describe your love for your closest other person, whether it's a son, a daughter, a parent, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. If I was to ask you to describe your love, how easy would that be? It would be difficult, right? I mean, how do you, how do you put that into words? But do you know that you love them? Right? There's no question in your heart. You know. You, you, you may not be able to put it in words. You may not be able to describe it to me, but, but you know what it's like to love someone. Take that times a million, and that's what we're talking about here. God wants that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. 
that you would experience today and every day. The huge love of the Father towards you that you will never fully exhaust or understand. And that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, when we when we begin to understand and receive the love of the Father, we begin to get filled with Him. Isn't that interesting? For some of us, for some of us here today, for some of us watching online, You have a theological quasi-understanding that God loves. You know, you, you, you read verses like, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And you can kind of wrap your brain around a, a theological understanding that God loves the world. But going from that to... God loves me. And I accept it. And I receive it. And I experience it. Can be a whole other thing. Because some of us this morning have barriers in our heart because we've been hurt so many times. We've been, our heart has been trampled so many times. We've got so many walls of protection around our heart Folks, you don't, I've said this before, you don't have two hearts. You don't have one heart for God and one heart for people. And, you know, you can protect your heart from people, but me and God are just fine. It doesn't work that way. You have one heart. And if you have locked up your heart behind walls of protection, you cannot experience the love that the Father wants to pour into you. And I don't say that to judge you. I don't say that to to, uh, condemn you in any way. I say it because the Father is pleading with you to bring your hardened, petrified heart to Him today. To let Him begin to bring in your life a revelation of how big His love is for you. And you will find that not only will your heart soften towards Him, but you will begin to come to a place where you can start to forgive and heal relationships in the world around you. I'm going to skip my last point, but I'm going to, I'm going to say this because um, we need to get to communion. Um, but I'm going to say this. The, Karl Barth, arguably the greatest theological mind of the 20th century, was a German theologian, made a trip to the United States in 1962. 
And in a question and answer time after a chapel in the University of Chicago, a student stood up and asked him, Dr. Barth, could you summarize in a statement your life's theological work? And the students in the room are hushed and leaning forward and waiting for this great words of wisdom that will come from Dr. Barth's mouth. And he says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Folks, what we need to know today more than anything else is that the God of the universe loves us with an everlasting love. And he broke the veil between heaven and earth to come in the person of his son, to come and live, to live before us, to show us the love of the Father in action. To allow himself to be nailed to an ugly Roman cross in shame and nakedness before the world. An object of mockery and hatred. Our hatred. And in all of it was showing humanity the extent of the love of God. He died in our place, descended to the place of death in our place, and rose again, winning victory over sin and death in our place. Amen? And we celebrate that now in communion. I'm going to ask the servers to come And get ready at this time as we prepare our hearts to celebrate communion together. As we take the the uh, just a a word of explanation about uh, about the emblems that we're going to hand out here. Um, If you're visiting with us and you trust Jesus as your Savior, you believe and, and love Him as your, as your Savior and Lord, doesn't matter what church background you're from, we, you are welcome at this table. You're welcome to receive the elements. And uh, our, our workers will come with gloves on. And they're going to come in the row in front of you and hand you um, the elements. They're going to be in two cups stacked on top of each other. The bottom cup will have a little wafer in it. The top cup will have juice in it. I want you to hold on to those cups until everyone has received them and we will take them together. And uh, as the, the worship team leads us in a song about the Father's love, I encourage you to worship the Lord and thank Him for His love today.
is the ultimate expression of his love. And Jesus um, gave us instruction to do this regularly so that we can regularly be reminded of the depth and the magnitude of his love. So as we take the emblem of his body, we remember that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body 
broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we thank you that you bore our sin in your body, that you showed in your flesh the love of God, the magnitude of his love. And we give you thanks today as we take the emblem of your broken body. Thank you for loving us all the way to the cross. In Jesus' name, let's take the emblem of his broken body. As we hold the cup of juice, remember that Jesus, after supper, took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Jesus, today, We thank you. Thank you for your blood that was shed. Thank you for the the Father's love poured out. Thank you for the hope that we have because of your resurrection. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Today I pray for each of us that struggles with receiving your love. We declare the power of the blood of Jesus to bring healing to hearts and to make real to us in this place, in this moment, a revelation of the Father's love. My words can't do it. Holy Spirit, come and show us. Let's take the emblem of his shed blood. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid. Let's stand and sing that again. Why should I gain? Why should I gain from his I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my rent. One more time. Why should I gain from his reward? I God, I thank you for this moment together. I thank you for the reminder 
in our heads of your love. But God, I pray for so much more than that for us today. Again, I pray a revelation in our hearts that your love is bigger than our sin. Your love is more exhaustible than our tendency to run away from you, to run into traffic. Your love is bigger than our circumstances. And I pray that today and this week you would give us a fresh revelation of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you all could join us for service this morning. I pray that you were blessed. I encourage you to not walk out of here and rush on with your week, but allow your mind to dwell on the things that God has spoken and is doing, has been doing in you this service. There's no rush. You don't have to feel like you have to run here. We ask if you desire to have prayer that you just sit down in your pew and then allow people to slip out. And then once they have slipped out, you come up to the front for prayer. The ushers at this time will come to the center pews and uh, dismiss you pew by pew. Thanks so much for joining us this morning.